0: This is the Smart Communications Smart Communications
1: Smart Communications podcast.
0: Developing the voices, voices, voices. Developing, developing the, the voices determine nonprofits. Brought to you by Big, Big Duck. Duck. Hey, welcome back to the Smart Communications podcast. I'm Sarah Durham, and I'm here today with Craig Shelley. Hi, Craig. Hello, Sarah. So, Craig and I know each other because we both have the honor of serving on the Association of Fundraising Professionals New York City chapter. Board. And Craig, when he's not volunteering for AFP New York, is the managing director of the Org Group, which provides nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, leadership, and management solutions. They've got offices in New York, DC, and work with some pretty awesome clients. So I invited Craig to join me today because we are both interested in getting real with board communications. To kick off this conversation, What we're thinking about is the difference between performing for your board or putting together content for the board that might be a little bit glossy or sugar coated versus really getting real and authentic with the board about what's happening and developing a kind of a trusted, authentic relationship. So Craig, how do you see this topic? Why is this important?
1: I think it's everything, right? I mean, if you, when we go into organizations and start to try and understand what's going on or understand why they're not fulfilling their full potential, the board will always say it's the staff's fault. The staff will always say it's the board's fault. And the real answer, it's both their faults. You know, the staff hasn't recruited the right board, the board hasn't hired the right staff. And when they truly partner, that's when good things happen. And I think, you know, whatever the organization is, if you're not partnering between the staff and the board at all levels, particularly at the CEO level, if you don't have that partnership you're not going to be able to achieve your mission to the fullest capacity. So when we look around at the things going on in the world and the things we want to change, the things we want to improve, the things we want to make better, our inability to sort of effectively achieve our missions oftentimes come back to this root issue. We get the board and staff to work together, more hungry people will get fed, more trees will be saved. You know, Whatever your mission is, we can do more of it if you can have that partnership.
0: Yeah, and if there's real alignment, then... Theoretically, there should be substantive conversations about what's succeeding, what's failing, and clear metrics. The Stanford Graduate School of Business did a survey in 2015 of board of directors of nonprofit organizations. And one of the key findings was that too many board members lack a deep understanding of the organization they're volunteering for. The survey showed that over a quarter of nonprofit board of directors members do not believe that their fellow board members have a strong understanding of the mission and strategy of the organization. And a third are not satisfied with the board's ability to evaluate the performance of the organization. Do you see that a lot in your work? 100%.
1: And you can see it just by going to a board meeting. Like, I can tell you everything I need to know about a board just by going to one of their meetings, right? So they'll be in one of a handful of categories. Either they're a listening board, which is really this performance board, like where the staff comes in, sort of does a big performance, puts on a show. And the board kind of nods and, you know, all the votes are always unanimous and, you know, you've seen it. You know, so that's one type of board. That's probably at one extreme. Then you have the reading board. And I think we've seen these two where the board members come in and they recognize that they're supposed to own the work or they're supposed to own the strategy of the organization. So they read basically scripts. So that's a different kind of performance, right? That's the boards doing the performance almost for the staff, but the staff is writing the script.
0: And there's no discussion.
1: There's no discussion, right? Everybody reads, everybody kind of nods. And again, you'll mostly see those unanimous votes. Then you have the reporting board, which is probably the most common nowadays. I would say almost 20 years ago when I started, the only boards I saw were these listening or, or reading boards. But now you'll see more of these reporting boards. So the boards will work off of, you know, kind of bullet points that the staff prepared. And you can tell, like, so they were involved and they understand the work enough that they can kind of riff on it, but they're not fully owning it. And then the last you know, stage, I would say, where you're like, okay, you go into these board meetings, it's rare, but you're blown away. And typically, they're very high-performing organizations, is really discussing boards or partnering boards, where they really are owning the issues. They're unpacking them, they're, they're diving deep on them, and they're having very substantive conversation and making substantive decisions, oftentimes you know, with a little give and take and a little compromise and quite a bit of disagreement now and again. As a CEO, and I've been a CEO of a nonprofit before I came to our Group. That's the most difficult kind of board to manage, but that's the one that you'll get the best results out of.
0: So you articulated four different types of boards, listening, reading, reporting, and partnering. Are those life cycles? Does every board move through those stages or could you, in a younger organization, develop a partnering board early? And what would be the pros and cons? You know, you said a partnering board can be challenging. Unpack that a bit.
1: Yeah. You don't have to go through the stages, right? You don't have to start as one to become another. A lot of it comes down to the culture. A lot of it comes down to how you communicate with the board right from the first day, how you recruit them, the types of people you recruit. So often you'll actually see younger organizations will tend to have more of that discussing or partnering board. And where that can get a little dangerous is, you know, you still have to sort of box out, you know, the board's responsibility is vision, strategy, direction, big decisions. You know, it's not how much toner should we order for the printer this month, right? Like, so you have to kind of have that line. And sometimes when they start discussing, they can go off in that direction. So you have into
0: to, management versus governance.
1: Exactly. So you have to have either a strong board chair or a strong CEO or preferably both that can kind of keep them focused and say, yeah, we want to dive deep. We want to talk about these things. We want your opinion, but we don't need for you to pick the art that hangs in the lobby, that kind of stuff.
0: So how would you encourage a nonprofit to foster a partnership with the board? And I assume that a lot of that comes down to the CEO relationship, but also other staff people. Like, How can the whole organization develop a more real collaborative partnership with the board?
1: Well, first, I mean, you have to be telling one story, right? What the CEO says to the board has got to be what they say to the staff, has got to be what they say to the public, has got to be what they say to their donors. But to me, it starts with having like a discipline in the cadence in which you communicate to a board, right? It took me a while to figure this out when I was doing this type of work more directly, but it was, you know, every month my board heard from me personally as the CEO three times. When our finances were closed from the month before, I sent those around with detail of like, hey, this is what's happening. Very transparent, very honest. You can have your CFO write that, but I'll be honest, as a CEO, I thought it was important for me to understand and be able to articulate what was going on in the financials, so I wanted to do it that way. So that was very dry, very boring. But for the accountants on the board and the people that care about that stuff, that was good. And for everyone, it fostered a sense of ownership of the finances, right? It wasn't the CEO's problem. It was our, these were our books, these were our finances. The second thing, I always like to at least once a month shoot out a quick email with just some piece of good news, right? If you're a nonprofit CEO, you're probably finding joy two or three times a week in your work. Your board members aren't seeing that. You have to sort of off the cuff and authentically share that with them. But don't do it every day because that'll get a little bit annoying. But so once a month, I always try to make it a point to share a story. I mean, I I was a CEO for a local Boy Scout council. So it was, you know, I met such and such, you know, kid at camp or I went to this Eagle Court of Honor or whatever it was and just sort of shared that nice, feel-good story. Kept them tied emotionally and, and again, engaged. And then the other thing I would do every month, I'd send out a longer form in two, three-page sort of memo that just highlighted all the great things that were going on programmatically, financially, fundraising-wise something good around the office, whatever it was, but made it a point in there to call out the staff members that were responsible, because I also would circulate that out to the staff, which I think is important in terms of telling one story, and also call out board members. And I was very generous in praising board members. So maybe that board member wasn't really all that involved (laughs) in why we closed that gift, but they were helpful. I was sure to note that. So board members started to see, wow, people are doing things. People are involved. Oddly enough, with those three simple things, you started to see the board really come out and get more engaged. Then there's, you got to meet with your board members all the time, regularly, You know, once or twice a year, you should see each one of your board members and really talk, not with an agenda. You're not selling them anything. You're not asking them a specific question. Just talk about what's on your mind and engage them. So those are the things I think a CEO can do to communicate with their board in a way that leads towards this sort of discussing, partnering, engaged board.
0: I think there's kind of two threads that run through your recommendations here. One is the importance of celebrations or wins. Because if we're going to deliver bad news, which inevitably we're going to have to do to the board, we have to also deliver good news. We have to put things into the bucket so that when we have to take things out of the bucket, there's something to draw on. But the other is that I think that the kind of candor that you're talking about, particularly in the financial email and in the email that sounds to me almost like a state of the nation or state of the organization on a monthly basis is that you're building a type of trust or demonstrating your own integrity as a leader. This is one of the things that I've observed with a lot of organizations and experienced actually in the executive director of another board that I serve on, which is that when the CEO or executive director or staff say, you know, this thing is going on and I'm not actually sure how I'm going to manage it, or... I'm feeling really good about this part of it, but I'm concerned about that part, or I wish I had done this a little differently. Oftentimes those kinds of confidences are not shared publicly. They're shared in a one-on-one, but they are hugely trust building to the board members because what they say to the board member is, this is a person who's not afraid to be real about where they're succeeding and where they need help. And that, as opposed to a CEO who feels like everything has to be good news I think a sophisticated board member and the kind of board member you're describing who wants to serve on a partnering board understands that it's not all going to be rosy and that the most trustworthy leader for the organization is the one who's not afraid to admit when things aren't rosy.
1: 100%. I worked for some amazing leaders earlier in my career, and I learned a ton. But one of the things we had a really bad habit of doing, and I see it now, you know, we work with lots of organizations. We put people inside organizations as CDOs, CEOs, major gift officers. A lot of times you'll see this bottleneck of, we can't tell the board that. I can't think of very many things that you can't tell the board. And Mm -hmm. in fact, as soon as you say you can't tell the board that, that probably means you need to tell them quickly. Because that's a challenge. You know, you've come across something that's mm, reputationally harmful. But yeah, you have to have that dialogue. And you're right. Every time you tell them the good news, you're putting sort of money in the piggy bank that you're going to be able to withdraw when you have to tell them the bad news. But you have to, right? I mean, the boards are there. They're on the hook. They're on the line. They want to lead these organizations. They understand things aren't perfect. But yeah, you have to be able to tell them when things aren't going well. If you're going to run out of cash in two months, don't wait till two weeks out to ring that alarm.
0: Right. So candor is how you build trust. We had a situation once on a specific project where we were presenting some work to a board And we had a conversation in advance with the CEO and she said, I've got a great working relationship with the board. What we're going to do is we'll go in and I'm going to tell them exactly what I need. And we walked into this board meeting and she said look, we hired these pros and here's what we're going to present. Here's what we need your feedback on today. Here's what I don't want your feedback on today. (laughs) And she really laid it all out in very direct and candid terms in ways that I think many CEOs would hesitate to speak to their board. But this was a board that was a partnering board. And they were actually huge business tycoons in this meeting. And they loved it because they knew what was expected of them. They trusted her. And the meeting went off beautifully because she was very clear that she was running the meeting and what she needed from the board. Now that wouldn't work on every board perhaps, but I think that that's a great example of what can actually emerge in more of a partnership relationship.
1: Definitely. And you don't see that right if you have these sort of boards that just listen when there's a problem they look at you and they expect you to solve it and you know, I think we have lots of talented people running lots of great organizations But the board members, by and large, have a whole different skill set that most of us that have spent the majority of our careers in nonprofits don't have. So to be able to access their talents, their smarts, their brains, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a fundraiser. So I always want to access their wallet first. But board members have a ton to offer, and we do ourselves a disservice if we don't allow them to offer.
0: If you're trying to build a partnering board and you're trying to access what your board can bring to the table, how do you as a staff person ensure that – that doesn't cross a line into management or hands-on. I mean, I think a, a lot of nonprofit staff people are wary that if they go to that board member and they say, hey, I know you're an expert in XYZ. Can you help me with this? That the dynamic will shift. I mean, it always seems to me that in the moment where you engage a board member outside of the board meeting, in some ways you're asking them to take off their governance hat and start being a volunteer. But they're an exceptionally powerful volunteer because they do also have that board members had, how do you recommend staff manage that?
1: That's a challenge, right? I've always tried to foster relationships between at least the senior staff and the board, because I think that that's, you know, really important. But I recognize why there's a little bit of discomfort there. You'll see a lot of times CEOs say, and you know, we work with some now and I respect it, I understand it, where they say, I communicate to the board, you guys don't. So you communicate through me. End of the day, the board is the CEO's boss. One of their main responsibilities is hiring and firing the CEO. So I get it. But you have to hire the right people, have enough trust, have enough faith where you can allow them to have those relationships. So I think if you're working with the board, that has a full picture of what's going on, and you've opened up and said, Hey, this is my chief marketing officer, this is my chief development officer, my chief operating officer, whatever it is, and you force the relationships at that level. And it's clear this is sort of the roles and responsibilities of the board members, and a staff member can communicate honestly and openly with board members, get their advice, get their input. That's going to be far more effective than, again, having this performance or this show. But how do you keep them from crossing the line and, and getting beyond where you want them to play? A lot of that is culture from the top, right? So if you have a board chair that tends to come into the office and, you know, pick out the paint swatches, when you go to your board member who works at an ad firm and ask their opinion about the marketing pieces, they're going to start thinking that they can run the shop, right? So you got to set that tone from the top. The chair, I think, has to be very clear, like, these are the things I'm involved in, these are the things I'm not. These are the things I advise on. These are the things I make decisions on. And then if you have a board chair that does that, that should trickle down. If it doesn't, and you get into one of these situations where a board member starts to step over, if you have that right kind of board chair, they can have that conversation and sort of say, look, you know, we really appreciate your help. You don't need to go that far with that. You know, give them your advice, give them your direction, but we hired them, let them actually implement
0: it. I think it's useful also to really literally use the language of I'm taking off my hat as a board member and putting on mm-hmm. my hat as a volunteer when I'm serving in a voluntary capacity. I always try to say that out loud, if not for the staff person, but for me. But also, I think it's important for both of us to remember that when you stop governing and you start volunteering, you work for the staff person. Yep. The dynamic has shifted and they should be leading the dance, which is still tricky. But certainly important to do. So if staff people, like a chief marketing officer, have access to the board, how can they help facilitate strong communications and more of a partnership model? What should they do?
1: I think that's very much rooted in telling one story, right? So if you're telling the board and the staff the same story, all they have to do is keep singing from the hymn book that they were already singing from, right? That there's no need to be you know, let me check with Sarah before I talk to the board member and make sure that they know about XYZ. Now, if you have that sort of relationship with your board as an organization where the things are open and transparent, there's really almost nothing that a staff member could get into a conversation with with a board member that would make me uncomfortable. Now, if, you know, you haven't told the board that you're going to miss your fundraising goals, or you haven't told the board that your biggest annual donor has decided not to renew, or you haven't told the board that the state has closed down your camp, Then you have to worry about what the staff is going to say to them. But I think, again, it's all rooted in telling that same story. And again, more and more, people don't think of this, but right, like, so their communications team is telling a story on social media with their mass emails and their newsletters, whatever it is. And then the CEO is managing and telling a story to the board. You might not think of your average board member as somebody that's out there on Facebook and Twitter following your organization, but I'd bet you good money that they are. So they're hearing both of those stories. If those are not the same story... You're going to have some explaining to do, right? So you have to have the same story.
0: Your organization, the org group, has a lot of people in different organizations doing interim or foundational development director jobs and things like that. So you see firsthand in a lot of organizations how other board members communicate with staff and staff communicate with board. Can you give me an example or a couple of places where you think organizations, staff members do that really well? an organization that you think does a couple of things at the staff level that really help facilitate a partnership with the board?
1: What I've always liked to do, and I see this in a number of organizations and I think it's real effective, is you sort of marry up board committees with different staff members, right? So if I'm the communications committee of the board, that should be staffed by the staff from the communications department and vice versa with you know, development, with finance, with things like that. And as a CEO, I think you do the board members and the staff a disservice if you're sort of in the weeds in all those committees. I think you have to be willing to step back, allow your staff to kind of run those committees. And, you know, I hate committee meetings. I hate meetings generally. But you have to have committees. You know, that is a great way to sort of get your board engaged. You don't have to have the standard 10 committees because that's what it says in the textbook. You know, have the three or four committees that make sense for your organization. Let the staff staff them. Let them build the relationships with those board members on that subject where they're the experts And let that sort of bubble up to the board. So I think that's one way to make sure that there's really good relationships between board members and staff. Another is, you know, for CEOs to signal that they're comfortable with that, right? To just sort of not be in the room. I mean, we have an organization we work with now, which is fantastic. And they're going through a pretty complicated sort of where do we go from here strategic discussion. And it's been fascinating for me to watch. The CEO doesn't go to the main conversations with the board on this. It's the COO. Um, one of their other senior leaders and occasionally, you know, some others that come in when it's important for that topic, but she's not there guiding the conversation. She will have input on in the conversation after they've sort of bubbled up some things and she'll have some dialogue. But I mean, she's really trusting the staff to partner with the board members who FYI, also her biggest donors, you know, so there's, and FYI, her bosses, right? Letting them partner to sort of figure out the direction as opposed to tightly managing it. And to me, wow. if I'm a board member, That says like, hey, I can trust the staff. I can deal with the staff. This isn't a one-woman show. This is truly a team that's running this organization. And I'm on that team.
0: That's awesome. I mean, that signals such huge trust when a CEO is comfortable letting those conversations happen. Another thing that I think comes into play with this kind of communication is just literally the rapport that you have with the board members and how you follow up. So if you're in that meeting with a board member and they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, but you... Take a note and get back to them and you email them and say, I found out the answer. Here's the answer. You're sending a signal that you close the loop and that you're thorough. Or if there's an action item that comes out of a board meeting that lives with your department to close the loop on that and to make sure that it surfaces or to say, you know, to circle back in a subsequent conversation. I often find that those very little types of tight follow through and kind of good manners communications actually also have a transformative effect. Less so perhaps for the CEO, but more so for communication staff or other staff people, because it signals that they're capturing the details, listening carefully and following up.
1: Oh, 100%. And I think you wouldn't just say this to board members. I'd say it for any donor, any stakeholder. I'd probably say it for any person. But if I have a conversation with you and I say I'm going to do something, you better do it, right? And that's obviously – I think that goes for anybody, but it particularly goes for board members. And when you close that loop, you know, if you close it in an email, you know, copy the CEO just so they kind of see they know that the loop is closed. And I would also tell you as a CEO, I never had any issues with my staff talking to the board, but I did like to kind of be in the loop on it. You know, I like to sort of see the emails. I like to be showing me in the hall for you to mention, hey, I just spoke to such and such because that allows me to sort of provide the freedom to the staff to do that. And know I'm not going to get blindsided of like, oh, I was just speaking to such and such and they told me XYZ. I don't mind that they know XYZ, but I probably want to know that they know XYZ, right?
0: Great. Craig Shelley, thank you for joining me. Thank you. This is a smart communications podcast, developing the voices of determined nonprofits, brought to you by Big Duck. Big Duck is an agency that puts
1: smart communications in the hands of nonprofits. We help our nonprofit clients develop strong brands, strong campaigns, and strong teams that advance their missions and achieve their goals.
0: Connect with us at BigDuckNYC.com.